You're listening to our podcast teaching series on the book of Ephesians called The Riches of His Grace. And what we're doing is every week we just want to look at the book of Ephesians uh, section by section to grasp all of the things that God has promised us in Jesus Christ, the riches of the grace, the favor that he has showed to sinners. And uh, this week, we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And these verses, if you've read Ephesians before, are some of the most powerful, clear, concise uh, descriptions of what the gospel actually is, what the good news actually is, what Jesus Christ has done on behalf of sinners. And what we're going to see in this passage is it's going to begin by a description of how bad it is uh to be enslaved to sin, or we're going to get a, a glimpse of the bad news. Okay. This, this is why we need to be saved. And then we're going to see the greatness of the good news, the abounding mercy of God for us in our plight, despite our hostility towards God, despite our sin, God being rich in mercy is going to do something incredible in us through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. So it's kind of a, a, a get the bad news first, which makes way for the good news type of deal. So I'm going to read the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So again, we get the bad news and then the good news. So let's look at the bad news. The bad news is that we are dead in our trespasses and sins apart from Christ. And the way that Paul describes the state of being dead is that we are people who who before Christ walked following the course of this world. In other words, we are imitating and mimicking the values and the culture of the world. And the world is a phrase that refers in some cases, and especially in this particular context, to the collection of systems and culture corrupted by sin. Okay, so an example of this would be consumeristic culture, the idea that amassing materials will give us happiness or that our whole life exists for our own self-pleasure. Okay, that's a, a culture and a system of things in our culture that promotes that sinful mindset. Another example would be a racist culture, right, that promotes racism throughout a society. 
So apart from Christ, we are captivated by these false ideologies. The second thing is that we also uh, walk as sons of disobedience according to the spirit of the prince of the power of the air. Okay, now the prince of the power of the air, that's a, a reference to Satan. And, and, and uh, this seems to be describing his influence over the world. So Satan's influence is exerted over the sons of disobedience, all people apart from Christ, right? There's a famous line in the movie, The Usual Suspects, where uh, one of the guys says the, the greatest uh, trick the devil, the devil ever pulled was to convince the world that he didn't exist. And that's kind of the, the way that Satan manipulates people. Uh, he, he, he's all around us influencing things, but we're kind of like fish in water. We don't even know what water is. It's just all around us. We don't notice that we're underwater because it's the reality that we live in. And in a similar way, some of these sinful ways of thinking are just our reality. And because of that, we are sons of disobedience, right? And, and what does that mean? It, it means that that we are those who live in the passions of our flesh. That's what Paul uses, that, that phrase, passions of our flesh. And it, it's, it's this idea that he explains, we're carrying out the desires of our body and mind. In other words, this is a, a holistic addiction to sin. We're like addicts. We're chasing after what is self-destructive and what is, what is, uh, what is offensive to God, right? And, and this is the idea of, what theologians call total depravity. And this doesn't mean that every human being is as sinful as they can possibly be, but it is saying that all of our faculties, our emotions, our intellect, right? Our, the, 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 our, our way of relating to people is tainted by sin. Everything in us is tainted by sin. So we're not as evil as we can be, but we are also born with the totality of us tainted in some way by sin. So this leads to Paul's conclusion. We are by nature children of wrath with the rest of mankind. So Paul puts everybody apart from Christ in the same category. We're sons of disobedience following our sinful passions. And because of that, we uh, deserve the wrath of God. We are by nature children of wrath. Okay, that's what we're born into, right? We're born with a sinful nature. So God's judgment is just and it's impartial. You can't claim Jewish ethnicity because you're still with this sinful nature. So there's no salvation apart from Christ. Now, this is the bad news. Okay, we're enslaved to sin. And when you read the Bible, you, you notice that our status apart from Christ is referred to in terms of blindness and deafness and numbness and, and being dead. And this is to show our complete inability to save ourselves, our complete inability to resurrect ourselves. We need a power outside of us to do this in us. And that's exactly what we see in verse four. But God, okay, that's the big twist. We're in trouble, but God, God did something on our behalf that we could not do for ourselves. Being rich in mercy, all right? He's got a bank account that's overflowing with mercy towards sinners motivated because of the great love, the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This is so important. God's rich mercy, his lavish love, this magnitude of wanting to do good to us was given, was set upon us, not when he saved us, 
but while we were dead in our trespasses. God loved us in that state of rebellion. Not when we got better, not because he saw our potential. He loved us at our worst. And he loved us in this particular way. His expression of that love is he makes us alive. He takes the dead and makes us alive together with Christ. And he does this by grace. By grace, you have been saved. So to be saved is to be made alive with Christ. To be taken out of this life of death in in chains and enslaved to your sinful passions and made alive with Christ. No longer bound to those sinful passions. No longer under the wrath of God. But now you're alive with God. You have a relationship with God, which is what you were made for. And all of this is a gift of grace. Grace is unmerited favor, right? Some of the Jewish thinkers, you read this in some of the Jewish texts like Wisdom of Solomon, uh, view grace as a gift that's given to somebody who makes good use of it. So if somebody looks and says, you could probably use this grace and you'll, you'll you'll do much with it. You'll do a lot of good stuff with it. It's kind of like an investment. But Paul says, no, it's actually much more free than that. God doesn't give grace to people he thinks will make use of it. He gives grace to ungodly, hostile sinners, to those who are dead in their trespasses. Those are the people he chooses to love. And not only loves them, but he also raises us up with him and seats us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. He exalts us. He adopts us into his family. He doesn't just absolve us of our sin but he makes us objects of his fatherly love and care. That's why it says in verse seven, in the coming ages, he's gonna show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Everything is in Christ. In Jesus Christ, we see the kindness of God to us. So God wants to roll out the red carpet of kindness to us for the rest of our lives because by his grace, he's adopted us out of slavery from sin to be his own children. And we see in Jesus Christ his absolute goodness to us. It's because it's by grace we've been saved through faith. So grace is God's unmerited favor, which is why we're saved. Nothing to do with us, nothing about our worthiness. We have no more responsibility for our new birth than for our first birth. Nobody made us, we we, we didn't make ourselves be physically born and we don't make ourselves be spiritually born. It's a complete gift of God. But this gift is one that's received through the instrument of faith. God presents this gift and we trust him. We go, yes, I believe it. I trust you, Christ. And even that faith is itself a gift by the Holy Spirit. God does it all. God does all of it. He saves us and gives us the faith to receive his gift so that he can continue to lavish his kindness upon us. And the result is, it's not our doing. It's God's gift, not a result of works, not a result of us doing moral things, doing good things, trying our best to turn a new leaf. Because if it were about that, we could boast in ourselves for our salvation. But Paul says the whole point of it being all about pure grace is so that nobody can boast. That when you look at your life and all the things that God has done and your salvation, you cannot take credit for any of it. You simply go, God, in his kindness, in his great love, while I was at my worst, adopted me and loved me. He is the sole reason for my salvation. And then Paul ends it here in verse 10. We are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece, right? God is molding something in us and we're created in Christ Jesus for a purpose. He made us to do good works. 
And these good works God has prepared for us for us to walk in them. So God has things for us to do. But notice the order. God remakes us in Christ as his workmanship. So he changes our status, he adopts us, and then he gives us good works to do. He doesn't make us do good works so that we can somehow earn our way into his family. But rather, he saves us to a mission, to something that we ought to do. And good works, you know, this is the idea, Not this isn't just, you know, don't do bad things. Right? Good works, what are good works? It's loving God and loving your neighbor, right? Good works heal and repair broken situations. It brings light to the world. And the world is looking for an alternate version of what life could be. And we get to show them that, that it's possible for dead people to live, that there's a a kingdom breaking forth in this world. And this is something that we do by faith. So even our sanctification, even us growing in faith or growing in obedience is by faith. We trust that God's power is gonna meet us as we attempt to obey him. And we trust that there are good works that he has prepared for us to join him in. He doesn't need these things, but he wants us to join him in this work. So we have a purpose to our salvation. He didn't just save us to put us on the shelf. He saved us because there are things that he wants us to share in the joy of doing alongside him. These are all the great gifts we have in the gospel. Thanks for listening to this. Make sure you share with a friend, leave a review, and we will be back next week with the next part of Ephesians.